Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Uh, we're both humans. Neither, yeah. neither, neither of us are machines. We depend on a number of machines but uh, to, to make this podcast happen, but we are both, for the most part, human beings. So far, we are, yes. We yeah. have not been replaced by machines. And to a certain extent, this uh, show is our art, right? I mean, uh, that's what humans do. Humans make art. It's It's kind of... An expression of our humanity, yeah. our desires, our uh, scary thoughts. Yeah, yeah. It's this, yeah. This is kind of this output, this uh, this expression of of self that uh, is kind of like the the bat signal of of human culture, letting everyone know that we've got it going on. That we are. Uh, well, and when I say everyone, I guess we're trying to tell the animals this, but um, <laughs> but but what I'm saying is that. We we have for a long time just considered art as this thing that humans do, and mm-hmm. it's uniquely human, and it's not the sort of thing that a machine could really manage. Yeah, and we now we have talked about it a little bit in the animal world. Yes, um, you occasionally you can teach an elephant to paint. Yeah, you can, you can get an ape to to get in there and get its uh, its hands covered in paint and start dabbing around on and a you canvas. Have certain birds that may make their their nest really like much more. Um, beautiful in order to attract a mate. Yeah. Uh, we've seen... 
and, instances of and this. Ultimately, you can take things out of that are out of context and non-art, put mm-hmm. them in, within an art context, and they become art. So, I mean, it's all in, in the, the eyes of the, beho- the beholder. But we are the beholder, right? So we're, we're the, the humans, we're the ones right. who get to decide what is art. We're the ones who get to make it, um, or at least that is the way it has been. But robots. Robots are changing this. Robots are 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 challenging our assumptions um, concerning what art is, who can make it, and uh, and what makes it good. And actually, what creativity is at, at the heart of the matter here. Um, Studio three sixty dot com has some really great uh, articles, a suite of articles on creativity and artificial intelligence, and that is in part what prompted us to start thinking about this today and podcasting on it. Yeah. It's a great show. If you've never checked out Studio 360, give it a shot. Um, so, yeah, we're talking about creativity um, and robots. Now, we did a whole episode on creativity, where it comes from in the human mind. So creativity in and of itself is a rather complex idea. There are several different definitions for creativity, which we explored in that, that mm-hmm. episode in some depth. Some of these definitions are more easily applicable to robotic artists than others. For instance, there's the cognitive view of creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is in this one, a computer could definitely do it because it's a, a process by which the sensory input uh, is transformed, reduced, elaborated, stored, recovered, and used. So it's just a it's just an, an input output scenario here. Um, sort of, it sounds like memory retrieval as well, right? Yeah, it's and uh, and you can see this kind of quote unquote creativity. Uh, at work, in simple, um, you know, th- you'll find programs online where you input text and we use a cut-up uh, system to mesh it around and change it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, random. If you were to do like a random filter on a on a, on a photograph, I mean, it's a very simple um, version of what we're talking about. But essentially, data is inputted, data is changed, and data is outputted. Right. Um, then there's like the uh, psychoanalytic uh, Freudian view, which argued that creativity is an occurrence of the subconscious. This not so easily applicable to machines. Well, we'll get into this in a little bit, but there is a, a s- aspect of this that is happening in uh, artificial intelligence. But yeah, there's this idea that art occurs, creativity o- occurs sometimes from these different states of consciousness, mm-hmm. and particularly with unconsciousness. In fact, uh, Salvador Dali uh, supposedly would sit with a spoon in his fingertips, holding it over a tin cup or plate as he drifted off to sleep, and then the spoon would fall from his grasp and wake him up again, and presumably he did this so that he could spend longer on the fringes of consciousness, unconsciousness, mm-hmm. and retrieve new ideas. Um, yeah, and there have been other artists that have that have uh, have uh, done that with a, a, a silver spoon before, but in, in different ways. Um, For some reason, I thought you were going to say a chainsaw. No, 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 no. no, I just, no. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, okay, other quick... Definitions of creativity, there's uh, the behaviorist view, which says that creativity is a combination of previously known knowledge joined together spontaneously, um, and uh, which gives the impression of a new idea or inspiration. So this is kind of a, an idea collider idea uh, of creativity. And, uh, and that matches up really easily with uh, our ideas of machine intelligence, mm-hmm. that a machine without any kind of real um, gusto could get in there and say, okay... Um, um, zombies are good, and uh, Pride and Prejudice is good. One plus one equals two. Mm-hmm. Now I'm using creativity. I mean, that's a very <laughs> granted. That idea was was uh, was generated by a human, 
but it's very easily to, easy to imagine a machine coming up with that as well. Like looking at, say, you know, if you had, had a computer that was analyzing like uh, search terminology mm-hmm. online, online, seeing what people were searching for, and just picking the top two categories and crafting a novel. So it's it's very much like decision tree. Yeah. Um, decision making. Yeah. And so the question arises, can there be a purely creative product that comes out of a machine? Yeah. And the other question is, you know, is this sacred ground? Is it really unique to humans? And that's what we're going to really get uh, to explore today. Yeah. It's an interesting look at, at just what computers are capable of now and uh, and an idea of where they're going. But also it really forces us to uh, reevaluate. What's going on in creativity and what's mm-hmm. going on in art, and uh, and uh, in, you know it just really forces you to to reexamine uh, how we view the whole scenario. So um, we should probably start in the written word. Right? Ah, robotic fiction. Yes. Yeah, and apparently this has been around for a while, right? There's something called Mark One Baby, and in 1952, a British computer scientist, Christopher Strachey, programmed the Mark One Baby computer to generate love poetry from a database of romantic verbs and nouns. Yeah, back in the 50s. Back in the 50s, and here's here's a sample. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to read it in read a it, robotic read it, voice. Oh, read it in a robot voice. Really? Okay, yeah. I'll try. I mean, you know how well I do with other accents. Well, the, ro- so, the robot accent is pretty, pretty easy. All right. Honey love... My anxious fondness impatiently yearns for your craving enthusiasm. You are my breathless infatuation, my darling affection, my ardent liking, my covetous fancy. Yours anxiously, M-U-C. There you go. That was good. That was, okay. I mean, I'm sure the computers listening will probably be a little offended by your accent. The computer is wincing right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, here's here's an early example of this. But you know, fast forward to today, and we have something called Brutus, which is a machine fabulist. Yeah, Brutus uses um, mathematical equations uh, that are based on the basics of plot, of setting, of dialogue, and uh, and really, this if any any of you that have ever taken classes on on the structure of a novel or how to write a short story, you know that there there are formulas out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can really, and you can also look at it, like there's there so many different uh, different uh, guys out there and, and, and women that are, um, that, that have like these models of how to plan out a novel, how to plan out a short story. And they're, you know, they're like triangle approaches and, and uh, you know, multiple story arc approaches. And there's like a snowflake um, um, approach to writing a novel, and it's uh, so we're really big on on formulating it and really guiding it out. It, you know, as if to to make it to where just anybody could follow these instructions and mm-hmm. come up with a novel. So, so it it follows. Uh, it, it, it's really easy to imagine then a computer taking some of this this data and using that 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 information as an equation to generate a novel. It knows the the structure of plot. The um, the, the way a story tends to to roll uh, and uh, and it can uh, can generate that. Yeah, and uh, I mean it is really cool actually the fact that it can generate these these stories. Now there are limitations. I mean we're talking about five hundred word stories. Yeah. And programmer Selma Brinkjord, uh, he said that the program can't be considered creative unless the machine creates something that's completely demystifies the programmer. So in other words. If it's not demystifying um, and it's putting out the expected mm-hmm. outcome, then it's just cloning our intelligence. Well, see, this reminds me a lot of the scenario of fan fiction, um, 
in, uh, in with, with human writers. Uh, this is a pretty simple concept uh, that everyone's encountered. Take, uh, take say, someone like H.P. Lovecraft. Wrote a you know a ton of short stories and fragments uh, and, and the occasional slightly longer work uh, with a very particular brand of horror. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have uh, you have people that read and I mean I I think I've probably read most of his his work. But you have people that read most of his stories, if not all of his stories, and then it's pretty easy at that point uh, to sort of regurgitate something that is at least Lovecraft ish. In that style. Yeah, you, you figure out what he tends to do in a story, what format he tends to follow, and then you can make something that's Lovecraft-ish. And, and certainly there have been a lot of authors who have, have enjoyed some success with Lovecraft-ish stuff. But, but where you really see uh, something phenomenal is when someone is clearly inspired by someone like Lovecraft mm-hmm. or, 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 um, or, or, or various other authors that have that certain feel and look of their their own material, where they can take what that author's done and then spin it around, do something different with it in a way that makes it their own. Well, see, and this comes, the originality really comes into question in mm-hmm. these sort of cases, because you could argue that there is nothing, nothing unique has ever really been created. Right. That it's just... To a certain iter- extent, we're all taking ideas, colliding them, yeah. and and trying to put just enough spin on them that we don't get sued. It's just iteration of iteration of iteration, unless you're Da Vinci, right? Yeah. Um, just coming up with all these completely original um, ideas for new machines and But concepts. that's because he stole a time travel machine. I you knew know? it. See, I knew he- it. You you finally yeah. said it. It's true. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this idea that, that this program is spitting out stuff that's not too original, well, okay, I mean, it, you really get into shades of gray of, like, well, what, at what point does it become in the realm of uniqueness and, and um, just, you know, just regurgitating uh, a bunch of rules? Yeah, and are you, which model of human creativity are you holding it up to? Are you holding it up yes. to the Sistine Chapel? Or are you holding it up to Dante's Inferno? Or are you holding it up to Pride and Prejudice with Zombies? Which is the main problem of subjectivity, right, right. when it comes to art. Um, okay, so I did want to say that, that Brutus uh, created this the, this uh, short little story here, and he paints a picture of a guy named Dave Striver. He's a Ph.D. candidate, and he's ambivalent about his current situation. Mm-hmm. And the program puts dashes of details in there, um, just as you said. Like, there's very formulaic in some ways, um, you know, just to create the setting. Brutus says, ah, here's the ivory clock on the campus, and eager students, so you start to get a real sense of place. And the pacing also gives it a sense of drama and uh, foreboding. And I wanted to play just a really short clip of this. This is from Studio 360. And this is a moment in which Dave Striver is being waylaid by the dissertation committee uh, for his Ph.D. Fiery and uncontrollable rose up. Dave, Professor Hart prodded softly. God, they were pitiful. Pitiful, pallid, and puny. Dave, did you hear the question? Later. Striver sat alone in his apartment. What in God's name had he done? And it should be noted that that was not the robot's voice. That was that was human reading. Yeah, yeah. that was a, a real dude reading. Um, but I mean, you kind of do get a sense of that, right? That's not too bad. Yeah. I mean, that's not. I mean, for a computer to sort of spit that out and for for it to make sense in the first place is kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for it to give you a sense of of peering into another person's mind, that is amazing. Yeah. It, because does a machine know what a human mind is? Well, and, certainly and, learning about it. Yeah, because ultimately, I mean, the, the machine is dealing with language, which is kind of like a shadow of, of the human mind. It's um, 
You know, it's dealing with coded data, semiotic web of, of meanings and symbols, and if you align it properly, you create the, you can create a text that has either a little or a lot of meaning. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just to what extent can the machine understand the human mind, I think. Yeah. And uh, to that end, it turns out that uh, Patrick Winston, he's a principal principal investigator at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Lab. He uh, is teaching Macbeth to computers. Mm -hmm. And he says that storytelling makes it possible to teach, to learn, and to be creative. And so he wants these machines to understand humans. And uh, what what better way than to start off with Shakespeare? Yeah. And as far as teaching, learning, and uh, creating go, uh, I mean, human beings go a pretty long way with just faking any or all three of those categories. So really, I mean, as far as understanding the human mind, <laughs> yeah. I don't. that's really not even as important necessarily for a machine as just the, the semblance of it, faking it. Because if you, you know, create, if it can create something that we end up investing thought into, then, uh, then that is the insight into the human mind, right? Maybe I'm getting a little, no, little, no, little no. ambiguous there. I don't know. Uh, well, I think what you're saying is that the simulation at some point becomes the thing. Yeah. Right? So even if it doesn't truly understand it, if it's executing the, the code for it. I mean, because we've all encountered art, be it... Um, you know, so be it be it a work of written art or visual art or music, where we we take that moment and we think, is this person brilliant or are they just uh, pulling one over on me? You know. Well, now machines have the same opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, okay, this this guy who's teaching them Macbeth, he actually has has a point here beyond just human um, mind. Uh, comprehension here. It's, it's actually to try to help creatively problem solve, which would make sense with storytelling. And he says that what we're hoping to do is build systems one day that are as important to a political analyst as a spreadsheet is to a financial analyst. We have a system now that draws parallels between various kinds of historical events, the Arab-Israeli war and the Tet Offensive, for example. Finding those parallels could help keep people out of trouble. Okay, so now we're getting into a larger area then of robotic design, not just not just robotic writing, but just ro- robotic creative thought. Well, and it reminded me of the Living Earth Simulator that we've talked about mm-hmm. before, which is this idea that you could take every bit of data in the world, throw it in there, and try to predict what's going to happen next, whether it's a weather pattern, pattern or um, uh, you know politics. Um, or even economic um, ramifications throughout the world. It's inter- I'm currently reading uh, the Hyperion uh, series by uh, Dan Simons, and uh, in that novel, you have uh, uh, you, you have artificial intelligences that have um, sort of uh, succeeded succeeded from uh, from human civilization, and uh, that still advise on, on various levels and are still involved, but also rather separate. But they have it to the point where they know exactly how um, everything is going to uh, transpire uh, for years and years in yeah. the future, with the exception of one sort of X factor that is pivotal to the novel. But, uh, but, but yeah, the, back to the Living Earth Simulator, just the idea that, that if you put, in a, you put the information in there, mm-hmm. um, to what extent can a machine navigate all the variables and come up with an accurate prediction of how things will play out? Well, we've talked about the limitations here with the Living Earth simula- Simulator because mm-hmm. it doesn't take into account, or this version of it 
uh, as of yet, hasn't been able to take into account what we call these black swans or these events that seem to come out of nowhere. Right. Um, but when, in fact, you look at it, like you know that there's going to be some sort of entropy at some point. It just feels like it came out of left field because we didn't expect it. Right. Well, I mean, it's like human creativity. You know, um, we'll have we'll have one thing in mind, and then something else comes along, and it changes the form of what you're trying to create. You know, um, I mean, like I I, I remember I started writing a, a short story before my dad died, and then after my dad died, that changed the shape of that story. Like that was a black swan event. I mean, it, not that it, you know, people die. That's kind of the. It kind of happens all the time, so not in the sense that it's that it's that unforeseeable an event, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but it occurs and it changes the direction of the creativity. So so what you're saying here is that we have to have a a, a creative program that is also um, that we throw a few black swans at every now and then. Well, that could also create its own black swans. Ah. And we should probably take a break here. And when we get back though, we're going to talk about whether or not there is a machine that can break this kind of code and possibly even create new unique thoughts all right shout out to astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples rob as the uh, the local host with allergies here they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies what was your experience like yeah that's right i always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring so they sent me the little uh, nasal spray i tried out the product and yeah it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day and it's so fast acting uh, it was already kicking in before i left the house Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better 
Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, and we're back. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about a little something here called the creativity machine. Yeah, okay, so... Which exists. This is not a, uh, you know, something that we read about in a science fiction novel or I something. Know, or I something was... like the near, uh, not the near Earth simulator. Not the not like the, the the Earth simulator that is that is that may exist in the future that we're mm-hmm. planning. This is something that is out there. I actually thought about the Santa Claus machine oh, when yeah. I was reading about this, and we talked about this in another episode. That, of course, is something that that could exist in the future, but does not exist exist now. Okay, so let's get to this creativity machine. It is pretty much like the ultimate problem solving machine. There is a guy named Stephen Tholer, and uh, there's a great documentary called In Its Image that covers this. Mm-hmm. Since the 70s, he has been futzing around with artificial neural networks, and he has uh, conducted a lot of experiments with us. Uh, usually, people have been dealing with artificial neural networks just to kind of see the way that the brain processes information. Right. But he he has a different plan um, it, with his creativity machine by using the, the human brain and uh, trying to not only replicate the way that neurons, the neural network is working, but also uh, how originality arises in humans. He's trying to do the same thing in in computers, and you could argue that he has done it. Yeah, it, the creative creativity machine learns on its own, mm-hmm. and uh, and it and it deals with black swans. Yeah, let me mathematical get... variables that are thrown in to shake it up. Yeah, I mean, okay, he, it's got these human generated scripts. Um, it is an artificial neural network, but it has two distinct functions. One part contains data, and one part runs that data with tests and gives it feedback. So that's where it learns from itself. Um, and then occasionally, Solar will actually disrupt these functions by running mathematical noise into the system. Okay, that's the black swan. That's the black swan, which creates a false memory of confabulation. And this is where the machine gets confused 
and it begins to drive the artificial neural network to think in new ways and produce new ideas. And here's an example of this. Um, Fuller was actually commissioned by Oral-B, the toothbrush maker, to create some new designs for the toothbrush, or their toothbrush is, I should say. And he said that when they injected noise into the first network, it imagined not the memories of toothbrushes it had previously seen, it produced confabulations, false memories that were hybrid, hybridizations of what it had seen before. Hmm. So when he when he threw that black swan in there, all of a sudden it didn't it, it did create these original new thoughts that were based on those memories. So it retrieved its memories, but they were false memories, huh. which is really sort of the same thing that happens when we have our own aha moments in creativity, right? We have yeah. these breakthroughs uh, based on our the experience, the memories, but, you know, it kind of comes out in a, a bit differently. Um, he says, you know, I didn't do anything crazy here. I basically pushed a return button and sat back and watched 2,000 designs emerge. And then he gave the customer Oral-B 200 designs. Huh. Okay, so that sounds like, oh, okay, Oral-B toothbrush, eh, whatever. This guy has, has actually used this machine to create everything from, like, snack food to military uh, devices, like robotic swarms. Yeah. he's uh, it's, it's been used to create substances harder than diamonds, uh, 1.5 million new English words. Uh, it's trained robot cockroaches, and it's um, it's composed just a whole lot of music. Yeah, which is really cool. And we'll listen to a clip of that music in a moment. Um, but uh, this is a really cool thing, too. Uh Fuller actually filed the first patent for the autonomous generator generation of useful information. And then his second patent was for his self-training neural network object. Patent two was invented by patent number one. That's crazy. That's amazing. The machine created the patent. I mean, this is this really does kind of spell out uh, a very interesting future mm-hmm. with this technology. Um, he says that this is the way that we're going to cure cancer and the way that we'll do multi-trillion dimensional optimizations to bring some peace of mind for the world's economy. Okay, so think back to the Living Earth Simulator Yeah. and its limitations. If you were to marry the two technologies, is there the possibility that this machine could become like, you know, basically a crystal ball for us? It could be like Oral-B comes to the, 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 the AIs then and says, hey, we want... To, uh, to roll out a new toothbrush, but we also want to know how this toothbrush will change the world. So the uh, computers begin to say, all right, here are 10 designs you can choose from, and here is a layout of how each of these designs will affect uh, your financial well-being as well as the world at large. Right, because you could overlay all that data, right? You could yeah. say if you uh, decide to produce it in this area of the world, this is the impact it will have on that economy mm-hmm. and on, on those people. You know, if you did it here, it would have this sort of impact, so on and so forth. You could look at its uh, its carbon footprint. I mean, you could look at all sorts of slices of data on top. Yeah, of this. And, and ultimately, that's what the um, the the, uh, the living or simulator comes down to as well. It's it's not really so much an idea that we'll we will create a virtual reality Earth two. It's yeah. it's the idea of well, we have in this simulation as much data as we want to throw at it. So you would say, all right, I'm interested in making toothbrushes, so I want to know how how this device might affect, um, you know, this particular hygiene market, how uh, it'll play out, um, 
you know, legally, how it'll play out with profits, how it will play out with, uh, you know, with, uh, with, with the perception of the brand, you know, whatever the variables happen to be, uh, as long as you have the data to back it up. Yeah. Of course, you know, you would have to mesh these two technologies, and that, that right there is the fiction part of this, but those two technologies do exist, uh, standalone. Mm-hmm. And so it is, it's very, uh, exciting to sort of extrapolate what that might look like in five years, 10 years, 20 years. Um, I think that this this is a great opportunity to hear a little clip of music by this machine. It's actually called the Dingularity. <laughs> and uh this is from the album Song of New Neurons. And again this is this is from Studio three sixty. But we're talking about art here, so let's let's really get down to the to the paintings now, to the to the to the canvas itself. Um, this is nothing new either. There are any number of robots out there that have been designed to put a little paint on a canvas. Um, I mean, you can. I mean, on a very basic level, we have uh, robots out there painting cars every day. Right. Uh, the work's pretty basic. It tends to be. It's 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 very often one color, uh, but it is. A robot painting something. So it's very easy from there to extrapolate um, robots painting various other things. Uh, like I said, we've been able to, we've trained elephants to paint. We've, uh, you know, you you, uh, you get a, an, an ape's uh, uh, hands uh, dirty, it will paint something on a canvas. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, we have machines that are capable of this as well. Um, I'll mention a few of them here that are, uh, uh, that are fairly interesting. Uh, for instance, there is... Uh, the uh, Van Gogh bot, as in Vincent Van Gogh, mm-hmm. and um, this uh, this uh, particular bot boasts 18 brushes, a paint mixer, and 3D spatial awareness. So and it can combine artistic influences to create fresh takes on a given subject. So the the variables here being a subject and what styles you want to see. So. You can sort of think of this in terms of almost like a, like an Instagram kind of a thing. Imagine if a, yeah. if a robot were in charge. All right, the photo is of a dog, and say I wanted to combine filter one and two, and it would uh, combine those in a way that made sense. So you might say, all right, I have a, I have a picture of a bowl of fruit. Uh, I would like that in a way that's cubist and uh, and also surrealist. Well, and then there is. Uh uh, what seems to be a more nuanced program called Aaron. Yes. Right. And this is where um, you get more of the expression, I guess you could say, even in the eyes uh, of the people that it's depicting in its paintings. Yeah. Now, Aaron has been uh, going since about 1973, mm-hmm. uh, or the, the project itself. And uh, it's the, um, the brainchild of Harold Cohen. Uh, Aaron draws and paints stylized still lifes and portraits of human figures uh, out of its programmed, quote-unquote, imagination. Um, no uh, no images or additional human input is necessary. So it sees something, and then it creates an artistic interpretation of what it sees. Which would point to original thought, right? Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay, and, th- and don't and worry, ultimately, though. Ultimately, the thing, again, it's like once it's created... Like it is, it creates this thing on canvas that then interacts with the human mind. And we've talked before about all the stuff that goes on in the human mind when you look at a piece of art. Mm-hmm. So you know, even if there's, if it's not thinking about subtext or, or whatever, it can't. It's not actually, quote unquote, thinking. Uh, if the piece ends up summoning 
that thought in the viewer, then I mean, then it's art. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've seen some of the examples, and you can go to studio360.com and see the, the samples of them. Um, that's a good place to start, at least. But uh, some of them really do elicit some feelings, mm-hmm. I have to say, but there is a flatness to it that you can kind of tell that it's computer-generated. Um, but that being said, there's... Uh, there's a, I can't remember the first name of the artist, but it's Freud's grandson or something. Um, there were some scenes of people that reminded me of, of Freud's paintings that have a certain mood to them, a certain quality mm-hmm. uh, in the way that it's spatially arranged. And I thought that was interesting because I thought, well, there seems to be some sort of psychology going on in this painting. Yeah, but but then again, that, that reminds me of, of any number of cases of... Uh, you'll see like an interview in an, with an artist or an actor or a musician, and they'll they'll be like, "Oh, you know, when you were when you did this particular thing, when you decided to paint this blue instead of gray, or you know, uh, what was going on in your mind?" And they'll have all of this this thought invested in this mm-hmm. in this one little detail. And then when the artist just says, "Oh, yeah, well, we ran out of gray paint that day," or you, you know, <laughs> You're right, right. or it'll or it'll be something like, "Oh, yeah, well, it's different uh, live than it was in the album because we kind of forgot how the music." Uh, how we actually played it the first time. You know, th- there ends up being some sort of mechanical explanation for something that you thought was going to be uh, really just tied into the creative process. Well, so so much of that then is projection yeah. by the viewer, right? Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed a 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Okay, so just in case you were worried that there there wasn't some sort of computer around here to try to take the highly subjective um, job of making... Uh, the, the stance that some art is good and some art is bad. Don't worry, there's something called Darcy. It's the digital artist communicating intent uh, machine. And it's essentially uh, kind of like an art historian. They are teaching this computer to basically build a da- database of artwork in order to carry out this subjective task of saying this is good and this is bad. And basically it associates images with an adjective. Mm-hmm. And it can learn, it can build up this database and begin to learn what is considered good and what is considered bad. And then you can actually throw a new, another image in front of it and it will rate it. <laughs> Which is interesting. Uh, computer scientists from Brigham Young University actually have been working on this. And we missed it when it came to Atlanta. Yes. It, it came to the High Museum of Art and uh, judged the works of man. It did. Yeah. It, it dashed a lot of people's and... hopes that, that, to be artists. Apparently a couple of kids, too, oh. got some, some thumbs downs from Darcy. Um, all right, so let's talk about film. Could could a computer be an auteur of sorts in this medium? Well, certainly we're now we're dealing with, uh, well, of course we're dealing with this with fiction, but... Um, with film, with digital film editing, it's it's all digital. All that information is just data in the computer. And, and again, this is another area where there are certain rules. There are certain types of cuts. There are certain, uh, th- there's a certain um, uh, law that you abide by when you're editing a film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's perfectly believable that you could hand over the raw footage and the, the, the basic uh, flow of the piece, and, and you could expect a, a machine to, uh, to give you some results. Whether it would be the results on par with you know work of a of a, of a great film editor, well, that's the the discussion. Well, yeah, that's that's the question mark here. Uh, the film is called White on White Algorithmic Noir, and it's by Eve Sussman, and it's kind of billed as a paranoid sci-fi thriller. 
And uh, Eve Sussman says it's uh, about an, an American engineer, Holtz. He gets a job in a mysterious foreign place called City A mm-hmm. and starts finding out things are wrong. The water supply seems to be drugged with lithium. Time seems to be slowing down. People are running out of language. And the people who hired him may not be who he thinks they are. So everything is a little bit beyond his control in this this situation. Very Kafka-esque kind of a scenario. Right? Yes, yes, very Kafka-esque. And uh, it actually is very interesting to watch it. And here's another reason why it's interesting, because every time you watch it, it is a different scenario because of this computer program, which is essentially re-editing the film hmm. um, every time you view it. Uh, she, uh, Eve Sussman worked with programmer Jeff Garneau, and he designed the computer system. So there's no one version of White on White. This is interesting because this ties into uh, some of the, the ideas we've discussed about the future of music, like the idea that in the future um, we won't so much as listen, we won't listen to a piece of music that it was composed by an author uh, or an artist, rather, but we would listen to a, a piece of music composed by an artist that then tailors itself to our particular taste and needs or an environment. So, Which is just like the, the, the uh, robotic piece of music. Uh, it's called Emily Howell. Yeah. Or that's the program. David Cope designed it. And it composes classical music based on influences from Bach and Mozart. Huh. And some people say that you can't tell the difference at times. Uh, so that's interesting that you say that. Because well, if, I- you were, if you knew that you were interested in that, and then that's what it was inspired from, then it would no longer be actually the works of Bach and Mozart. Like, think of some of the films that have, like, they're famous for multiple cuts. Uh, uh, the, the one that comes to mind uh, mo- most obviously and most fitting for this conversation is Blade Runner, yeah. where in, some cuts lean more towards uh, Harrison Ford's character being uh, a replicant, an android, an artificial person, uh, versus him being a human. So what if you had in the future, what if a cut of Blade Runner tailors itself to your particular values? If you're the kind of person who is more satisfied with with uh, with Harrison Ford being a robot, then that is the version you end up seeing. Likewise, if you're if you're the kind of person who thinks Han Solo should have, uh, should shoot first or he should shoot second, then uh, then a copy of Star Wars tailors itself to what kind of a viewer you are. Well, then, oh, and then to say nothing of uh, of um, curse words, nudity, violence. Yeah, I, you could have a, a, the the film automatically adjust itself to the age of the viewer, or even the sex of the viewer. But then if it's no longer versus males. Tend if you there are sort of demographical uh, variables in play. It's no longer tied though to that particular person's perspective, and is no longer the artwork of that person. Correct. Well. You, you would have to have some, some very like for instance the language thing is pretty easy like there's there are artists out there where they'd be like oh no you can't uh, you can't have scarface say um, dang it you, you know you, you this this no, character this character's cursing is, is important to the work and if you take the cursing out then it's no longer that work but there are is other that the, the my little cockroaches is yeah. That the part? yeah you can okay. re- leave the cockroaches I guess. yeah sure but, but uh, but I, I feel like there are other films out there where the artists would probably say, no, I don't think it harms my artistic vision if they say fudge instead of the F word. Oh, I don't know. I, uh, fudge is a very different thing than the other thing. Well, maybe, yeah. But you get my point. I think there it depends on the level to which the work adjusts itself. Okay, well, and I suppose it, it depends on the, the author of the work, too, and how she or he intends it to, to interact with right. well, take the consumer Bra- of it. Take Brazil, for instance, uh, Terry Gilliam's yeah. film. There was, a, there was a, like a happy ending cut of the film that the studio did, which is horrible, 
Um, but it has a very happy ending, whereas the the actual cut of the film has a really down ending. Yeah. Uh, like even the sort of, uh, even the compromise, uh, the, the cut that they ended up putting together uh, is really kind of a downer. If you had a version of Brazil, if Brazil tailored itself to your viewing and would sometimes choose the happy ending, then that would definitely compromise the piece. Again, I think it all goes back to what the what the person is trying to say with that particular piece of artwork, okay, yeah. which goes back to robots. Do they have a particular perspective when it comes to that? Hmm. You know, can can they really have a perspective? You feed them lots of data about the environment. If they can learn from themselves. Uh, and create original thought. There's the possibility there, right? Yeah. Um, but let me, let me before we get too far into that, um, I do want to play this clip of Emily Howell. This is the music that we're talking about that is inspired by Bach and Mozart, just to give you guys a sense of what that sounds like. Now I'm not the um, I'm not the biggest connoisseur of classical music, but uh, but I certainly I don't think I'd be able to tell you if that was Bach, Mozart, or a computer. No, and I think that the issue that a lot of people are having with this this iteration of of music, at least, is that it, there's not a standout piece yet. And, and even David Cope, who designed it, says like there's there's not anything too terribly creative or original about this music. Mm-hmm. It's just a variation on a theme that someone else has done before. Right. So eventually though, there presumably there is going to be some sort of breakthrough, some sort of piece of music created by a machine, possibly even the creativity machine, that people say, Oh wow, this this has really struck a chord in me as a human. It reached this this center of, of emotion in me that I didn't think that a robot could inhabit my perspective in in order to elicit that feeling. Mm. So then the question becomes, well, who is the artist here then? Is it the programmer or the computer? And at what point do we consider human creativity be the same as machine creativity? And here's the other question I have, because we've talked about human cyborgs and the way that we are always uh, manipulating ourselves Mm -hmm. with technology. Is this just another way to manipulate our abilities so is is this part of the human experience to some degree yeah like when a when a human creates a robot that then creates art is is it really is that human just creating via proxy is it is it kind of like saying like like looking at the difference between me singing and me creating music with a trumpet um you know i'm with Mm -hmm. the trumpet i'm using a piece of technology that amplifies amplifies and changes my output into a different type of output but it's still dependent upon my original output. Yeah, I know. It's like it's just, it's an extension of creativity, right? right? Just because you use something to to express yourselves, albeit uh, you know a machine, it doesn't mean that it's not somehow an expression of the human self because we're the ones who coded it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it boils down to this idea of consciousness. I really do, and I think that the the creativity machine and its ability to mimic these little blips in consciousness. I'm not going to call them unconsciousness because Mm -hmm. that's probably giving a little bit too much credit. But I think until we can really uh, crack this nut of what consciousness is, we can't really answer the question about whether or not robots uh, could emulate it or, or create truly unique art. Yeah. Because, I mean, when you get into the motivations, uh, like something like Dante's Inferno, 
you know, the the artist wants to create this piece, and he wants to create a piece that uh, that that says something about um, about God, that says something about faith, that says something about uh, the world that he lives in, that takes jabs at people that he doesn't like. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. all these. Right. All these things that go on in, in so many works of art, you know, where it's there's a there, and there's a little bit of themselves in the work as well. Yeah. You know? um, to what extent can can a computer ever pull that off? Well, so some would argue mm-hmm. that man humans have been creating art for at least thirty five thousand years, right? Like from cave drawings onto up to like creating a program like Aaron that can create art, right? And that. Machines have only been creating art for about 40 years so that, you know, we just need to give them a chance. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, when we were 40 years in, we probably, we were, we, well, we weren't really all that impressive either. So. Right. So, and, 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 you know, because they can, uh, carry things out at much more rapid speeds than we do, presumably they could become pretty sophisticated artists. I don't know. Or, mm-hmm. you know, is this predicated on this idea of a soul? And, oh, God, this is for another podcast, but is there, I mean... It's for the next podcast, because we're going to get uh, into that's personhood. that's true. We are going to talk about But before personhood. we do that, we have to close this one out, so... Indeed. So, there you have it. Um, some thoughts on the the computer as an artist, the, uh, the art as a creation of machine versus a creation by man, and then as a work that is ultimately viewed by a human, or, in the case of Darcy, by a computer. So... Um, we would love to hear from uh, from you guys to you know what, what do you think about that what do you what what is art do you think a computer can really create uh, music literature um, or visual art in a meaningful way uh, and then how much of it just does does it depend on the viewer or the reader or the the listener as to whether it's art or not um, let us know we'd love to hear what you think um, I have just uh, I'll read one quick uh, listener mail if we want to call the robot over here. It's always a little awkward calling the robot over here. After we've been talking about robots. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Artie. All right. Now, this one is related to movies. Uh, Our listener, Sean, writes in about uh, horror and talking about old versus new horror. Uh, Sean says, really quick, my observation on new horror versus old horror in the uh, mental versus the visual. The old schoolers like Hitchcock and... uh, and King uh, left what happened uh, next up to the mind. Now, with modern technology, they show you the gore and leave nothing to the imagination. I know there are except- exceptions, but I feel new horror is no uh, more scary than it is disturbing. I also find myself more frequently feeling that new horror glorifies individuals with psychotic tendencies, especially when the character is based on a real individual. Great job every week. Mad love, Sean. Um, yeah, I mean... Uh, uh, I've certainly seen that argument that, uh, that that you know now horror is more about just really throwing up disturbing images, but uh, but but even then, it's like I, I feel like when when uh, when horror movies show disturbing images, it's like that you you desynthesize to that so quickly, yeah. That it's there has to be if it, even if a disturbing image is going to be effective, it needs to have an underlying disturbing idea. And and sometimes I think that dis- the disturbing image actually gets in w- in the way of the of the um, the idea. And to tie this back into what we're talking about today, I, I sometimes feel l- like when you 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 look at horror that that seems to work or almost works, and it'll you'll because you think that there is a disturbing idea at the heart of it. Mm-hmm. And in, in some cases, it just seems to turn out that the uh, the the creators of this particular piece are just 
they're just dealing in the visuals. They're just dealing in the disturbing uh, images side of it, and any um, and any disturbing idea beneath it is just the the viewer's perception. So you get into ideas of you know something can actually seem to have more ideas and, and more more depth to it uh, based on what the viewer, the listener, the reader is bringing to the. So scenario. again, projection. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, let us know what you think about uh, computers creating art. You can find us online. You can find us on Facebook, where we are Stuff to Blow Your Mind. And you can find us on Twitter, where our handle is Blow the Mind. And you can also drop us a line at BlowTheMind at Discovery.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.